Well, good morning, church. I'm going to ask you the question, what is the secret to success? How can we become a success? Is it even possible for us to become a success in life and work? And what does success really look like? Well, these are the questions that we're asking and answering in our short little two-week series that we're finishing today called The Secret Sauce, God's Recipe for You to Become a Success in Life and Work. And here's what we learned last week. We learned last week that we define success like this. Success is returning back to God both the investment and the interest of all that he gave you. Now listen, there's a lot that's assumed in this definition of success, and if you missed last week, you're gonna to need to go back and watch that so that you can kind of see how the whole picture uh, works together. But here's the deal. We are, we're sharing God's heart. We're, we're diving into God's word, and we're learning that God's heart, his desire, is that we are a success. His desire is that we are valuable to our place of business, whether that is whether we work inside of the home with the business of the home or we work outside of the home in the business of business. Um, God wants us to be a success there. He wants us to bring value there, but he also wants us to bring value to his kingdom. And what we learned last week is that success ultimately is not about choosing one or the other. God's desire is that we see success in both. And so this definition frames a lot of what we're doing. If you remember from here, from last week, if you were with us, that what we're talking about, we're not just talking about like a couple little garnishes or a couple little extra seasonings that we sprinkle into our life already that, that is God's recipe for success. No, what we're learning is, is that they are, these are decisions or declarations that we have to choose to make um, as, as people if we want to see or understand or unlock or experience what God's secret sauce to success really is. Last week I shared with you the key ingredients are to be holy and to be hardworking. Those are the first two and everything else kind of builds on and around that. And this week I'm gonna share um, the final touches uh, to God's recipe in a message that I've titled The Finishing touches. Uh, and, and that's where we're going today. Listen, if I've not met you yet, my name is Journey, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. So glad that you guys are here on Memorial Day weekend. The sun is up. It almost looks like summer, even though it feels like March. Um, but man, I'm glad that you're here with us. And listen, we got a lot of folks. It's a holiday weekend. We got a lot of folks traveling that are joining us online. So if you're in the room, can you put your hands together and let the folks online know that we're glad you're with us. We're glad you're hanging out. And diving in, today I want to share uh, the last four ingredients that serve as the final touches to God's secret sauce. And I'm just going to jump right in today. The first ingredient is the ingredient when we choose to be humble. To be humble. Man, can I tell you, when I, uh, I was 20 years old, uh, when the church that I came from before, I, before we started Discover Church, I was 20 years old when they hired me. Uh, I was still in college. Um, I, a lot of the folks on staff uh, made fun of me because of how young I was, and then I would in turn make fun of them because I was the only one not legal. And, uh, and they, they continually did not like that. But here's the deal, man. Like when I was younger, um, I, I was a cocky, arrogant dude. That's the best, most polite Sunday morning appropriate way to say it. Uh, man, I was cocky. I was arrogant. I, I, and the problem was, is that what I, what I did as a middle school pastor, um, I, I was, I was, 
pretty decent at it. I mean, as a 20 year old, like I just connected with middle school kids because I was basically just a big middle school kid. And uh, I can remember uh, uh, performance evaluation after performance evaluation after performance evaluation where continually my boss would say, you know, here are the high marks, these are the things that are going well, but I want to talk about something that I think is eventually going to be a problem for if you don't get it right. I'm like, I got problems? They go, yeah, you're kind of arrogant. Says who? They said, exactly. I seriously, y'all, my, my issue with pride was so deep that, um, that I legitimately kind of developed a mindset like, man, y'all are just blessed to have me. I mean, I got 75 middle school kids coming and showing up to a midweek service every week because I'm awesome. And you're welcome. And uh, I may have said that at one point in those performance evaluations, and that did not go over well. And so I just struggled with pride, I struggled with arrogance, and as I got a little bit older, as I started to hear, okay, this is consistent, I keep hearing the same thing, I need to work on this, um, I really began to struggle with like, man, how do you become more humble? Like, I, I don't know how to do that. Part of my problem was is that as I would do research, there's so many definitions. Here's some of the definitions that, that were my favorites as I, as I look back on it. Um, being humble is not about being selfless, but thinking of yourself less. Some pastor wrote that. Some pastor definitely wrote that. Another definition of, of humility is the absence of vanity or excessive pride. And I would be like, but how much pride is excessive? I mean, I'm not vain, but am I, is it my pride excessive? I don't know. Here's another one. Another one says, putting the needs of others before your own. I'm in ministry. I'm a pastor. I have given my life to hang out with 12 and 13 year old kids. I don't know how much more I can put people's lives in front of my own. When we play basketball, I can't just play like Shaq and just dominate all of them because it's embarrassing for them while not realizing it was actually embarrassing for me. Six foot five, 240 pounds running around blocking every shot of every prepubescent seventh grade boy and girl. What up? Not in my house, you know, like. And all those things sounded good, but, but how many of you know you can't just grit your teeth and become more humble? You can't just be like, I'm gonna be more humble. No. Oh, it worked. I'm so much more humble now than I was three seconds ago. Like that, right? Like that's not how humility works. And, um, and, and part, of what, part of what made the journey to really allowing God to work on my heart on this area was that, that I was around a lot of false humility. Now listen, there are a few things in life that are more repulsive in a person than false humility, right? Like I remember this one guy uh, that I had spent some time around and he would tell people from time to time, anytime the, the subject of humility came up, he would say this, I pride myself on my humility. That's not a joke. He actually said that. There's another guy that I was around uh, and, 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 and around him a lot and, and, and I could tell that he kind of struggled with the pride thing as well and the way that he dealt with it is he would just like kind of issue this quote kind of all the time, well, I don't believe my own press. 
I can remember one time somebody, he had done something. Uh, there was a family that had gone through a, a terrible, tragic accident and they had written him a thank you card. Like, hey, pastor, thank you for this and this and this. And I literally, I watched him. I, he saw who it was from. He didn't even open it up. I was standing next to him. He, he, he didn't open the envelope up. He ripped it up, threw it in the trash and looked at me and said, now you don't believe your own press either. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's it. I don't, I don't think that that's humility. And so I wrestled with this and I struggled with this and I, and I began to, to try to figure out, okay, God, help me, um, help me become more humble. Help me, help me figure this out. And, and what I began to realize is, is that I, I tried to bring a lot of inputs into the humility equation. So I would do things like um, I would park in the, la- in the furthest parking spot from the building. Um, I would do that. I would be in meetings and I would just not give my opinion. Even at times when they would say, Jern, what do you think about this? And I would say, I believe the most humble thing to do would be to reserve my opinion. Listen, y'all, it was like trying to watch somebody, like me trying to figure out humility is like y'all trying to watch me dance. Like it just looks odd. It looks weird. But none of that stuff really began to work and I struggled and I struggled and I struggled and I, I, it came to a point where I realized that things were really at a tipping point here. Like my job is kind of at stake because I keep walking around like, like, like I own the place. And God began to reveal to me some things and God began to teach me some things about humility. And I wanna share with you one of the things that helped, helped, helped make it all begin to come clear because what I begin to realize is, is that it doesn't matter how much stuff I insert into the equation. I'm not actually, nothing is actually changing about my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm just presenting a false humility. I'm, I'm saying things that look humble, but on the inside, I'm prideful, I'm arrogant. And what I began to realize that the issue was that my spirit was emaciated and weak. I, I, I viewed spending time with Jesus as a check in the box thing of something that I had to do. And I didn't have a longing, a desire in my heart to want to spend time with Jesus in the way that I want to spend time with Jess or my kids. I don't view spending time with Jess or my kids as a, well, check the box, finish that today, on to the next one. No, like I want to spend time with him because it, it, it fills my soul to want to do that. And, 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 and I had to have a shift. God began to shift my heart and what it looked like. And, and I eventually landed on this definition of humility. And it's not really a definition per se, but it's something that really helped me. And it's this, that humility is the byproduct of being closer to Jesus. And you might listen to that and go, well, that's no definition at all. But I want to share a couple of verses with you. I want to start in John chapter 15 and verse five. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Can I just tell you something that God used this verse in a profound way for me? Because what I began to realize is that all of my years in ministry and the things that I had done were on the outside, everybody looked at it as successful, but on the inside, I knew that I was prideful. I was arrogant. There were things that were sick and dead inside of me. And God took this verse and he nailed it into my heart. And he said, Jern, do you understand that apart from me, there is no thing that you can do. 
There's nothing. You can't love your wife the way that she needs to be loved apart from me. You can't love your kids the way they need to be loved apart from me. You can't be a boss, a leader, a pastor, a friend, a son, the way that you need to be apart from me. You can keep doing it the way that you want to do it, and here's what's going to happen. There will be some on the outside that'll sing your praises about how awesome you are, but the people who know you best will continue to give you words of warning, watch out, look out because there's something living inside of you and it's called pride. Humility is the byproduct of being closer to Jesus and realizing like, oh my gosh, I am really incapable of things. When we begin to understand this, then we understand what what the apostle John wrote in John chapter three, verse 30, when he said that he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. You see, humility is is simply recognizing your position as not nearly as awesome as you think that you are. In a world where we spend so much time working on building up our self-image and our self-confidence and all of these things, can I just tell you, like, you are not a great mom. You are not a great dad. You are not a great spouse. You are sinful. And you let people down all the time. But... The grace of God working in you gives you the strength you need to be what they need. And when you begin to see that work, you begin to go, oh my gosh, Lord, you need to increase in every area. When I'm talking to my wife, I need you to increase because when I increase, I say stuff that gets me on the couch. I need you to increase because I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to be by myself on the couch. I'm trying to be with my woman in the bed. You know what I'm saying? At work, you end up saying things or doing things that, that like, oh my gosh, shut up. The cat doesn't come back into the bag. We need to choose to be humble. We need to choose in every moment, every day, every situation to allow Jesus to increase so that we can decrease. But you can't do that by just making a declaration. The only way you can get there is as you get closer to Jesus and realize how much more he brings to the table than you do. And then it's only natural, like, oh my gosh. Jesus, I need you to be the leader of Discover Church because I don't have what it takes. If these people knew me and like they wouldn't want me to be their pastor, but God, that's what you called me to be. You increase and I'll decrease. Here's the second ingredient. The second ingredient is to choose to be hungry. As a parent, I've noticed that there's a significant difference between children and adults when it comes to the issue of being hungry. When kids get hungry, what do they do? Mom, what's for lunch? Mom, what's for dinner? Mom, what? Mom, I'm hungry. I don't know why they never say dad. I don't. We've had that conversation in my house. But when a grown person, when an adult gets hungry, what do they do? They go to the kitchen and make themselves a sandwich. Now let me pause for a second right here. If you are the primary food preparer in your house, you may think that you're the only grown-up in your house. God brought some conviction on me this week as I was writing this down because I realized how many times I'll go to Jess and be like, hey, babe, what's for dinner? She always has an answer. And I began to realize that maybe I behave a little bit more like a child than an adult when it comes to this. 
Can I just tell you, as a leader, this is one of my biggest pet peeves when people choose to not be hungry. Because usually when someone chooses to not be hungry, it is usually quickly followed by choosing to complain or choosing to make excuses. Listen to me clearly, carefully. When we choose to complain about things or we choose to make excuses about things, then what it does is it limits our potential. And not only does it limit the potential of what we can do, what we can bring to the table, but it also decreases our value to our place of business and it decreases our value to the kingdom of God. There's so many times where, where we come up to things in life where we don't know what to do. We don't know how to navigate it. We don't know exactly how, uh, how, how to approach it. And so what happens is, is we, we rely on complaining or we rely on excuses as the reason why whatever X, Y, or Z is doesn't get done. And we allow X, Y, or Z or how we're not equipped or prepared for X, Y, or Z to become a roadblock um, that, that halts us and, it, and derails us. Instead, what I believe that God would have us do is to see those things not as roadblocks or things that would derail us, but to see these things as launching pads to be able to learn and acquire new skills, new tools that we can put in the toolbox to bring greater value to our place of business and greater value to the kingdom of God. We have to choose to be hungry. At the core of what we're talking about is we're talking about the ability, or maybe it's better said, the desire to go learn something new to accomplish something new. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter seven when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open what is Jesus saying Jesus is saying is, is when you come up to that hardship and that difficulty you can choose to stand and complain about it if you want to but what you need to get over that obstacle or to get around that barrier is not going to happen magically through osmosis by just sitting staring and complaining Instead, what Jesus is talking about here, what he's, what he's referencing here, is that growth is always an active process. Growth is never passive. You don't passively just sit by and, 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 and learn something. Listen, I know when I was in high school, I tried it. I tried to get audio books of my history so that I could listen to it while I was sleeping at night. I failed that test. It did not go well. Growth is an active process. So here's the deal. You're at work and you've been handed a task that's outside of your job description or outside of your skill set. You can complain about it if you want to. But don't complain when the promotion time comes and bonus time comes and you get passed over. Why? Because your supervisor handed you an opportunity for growth and you go, no, I'm good. I'd rather complain about it because I don't know how to do that. So when you get handed a new skill set at work, go and learn a new skill. Hey, you birthed a child that is radically different from the other ones. If you have more than one child, you know that's the truth every time you do this. Man, can I tell you, it would be so much easier for me and Jessica to complain about how different our kids are. Discipline and redirection and correction, like none of the three of them respond to the same things. And about every six months, it changes. 
And so here's what we could do. We could like just sit in our room with the door locked in the fetal position, rocking back and forth and saying, God, why did you give us such impossible children? Or you can say, God, I don't have what I need to raise this child in this season the way that you want me to. I need you to help me. And don't be surprised if when God says you need, to, when you ask God to help you, that you find a book or a podcast or, or you do a Bible study on parenting or you get connected to a counselor or parenting coach. You, get, you birth a child that's different, man, go learn some new techniques. Hey, you're leading a business that's going through some changes. I don't know who all the business leaders are or the small business owners are, but come on, we had some challenges in the last year and a half. Sales aren't what they want to be. My team's not doing right. My team ain't showing up to work. We've been working at home and I'm pretty sure the only thing they're doing is the home part because I don't see any work happening. Listen, you can complain about it or you can go and seek a mentor or a coach who's been through this and try to learn from them. See, what I'm trying to help you see is that, is that if we want to be a success in life and work, part of God's, and one of God's ingredients is the decision, the declaration to choose to be hungry, to choose to take action, to reject being passive and playing a victim mentality about why I can't do this and that's not my job description, that's not my purview, and that's not my skill set. Everything that gets handed to you, everything that you don't currently know how to do is not a roadblock that should derail you. It's a growth opportunity that can propel you to something higher. And when we live in today's internet generation, come on, man, we got more information at our fingertips than every generation before us combined. So man, let's, let, let's not be passive. Let's not be victims. Let's be hungry, all right? Is this helping anybody? Is this making sense? Four people, good. Here's the next ingredient in the secret sauce. We got to choose to be honest. We got to choose to be honest. Man, honesty seems like it ought to be common sense, right? Like I talk to my kids all the time about being honest, how lying derails the, the, the building block of every relationship, which is trust. And so when you're not honest with mommy and daddy, when you're not honest with your teachers, right, it, it, it erodes the, the, the bedrock of trust that your relationship is built on. But, but this, what I want to talk about with this is that there's really two Two layers to this. The first layer is simply the obvious of being truthful. Don't be deceptive, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says that Satan, the devil, is the father of lies. He's the OG con man. He's a manipulator. And so, so we can choose, and you might even be able to. Some of you are in a situation right now where you're looking at an opportunity and you're trying to figure out how to get ahead and you're asking yourself the question, well, is it really lying? Am I really fudging the numbers? Listen to me. You can choose to try to get ahead by not being honest. You can lie. You can manipulate. You can fabricate. You can gossip. You can try to tear somebody else down. You can do that, and you might see some success, but it will all be built on a house of cards, and it will all come crashing down and falling. Just ask the devil. Or you can just choose to be honest, be trustworthy, be truthful. Here's the second part of this that I want to talk about, though, because this is the part that I think is the most um, insidious part of this that affects most of us. I believe it's the most subtle part that affects most of us. 
It's the times where it's hardest of all the ingredients to consistently live by. Because it, it requires us to get uncomfortable. And oftentimes we'll, 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 we will withhold sharing something with somebody that we care about and we'll say, I love them too much to share this with them. Can I just tell you right there in that moment, you don't love them that much. You love yourself too much. When you are unwilling to say something that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable while looking at somebody who's getting ready to jump off the cliff into the abyss, that's not because you love them, it's because you love you. When you see a friend getting ready to go and take pictures and they got stuff all up in their teeth, a real friend who really loves will say, listen, you need a toothpick. Listen, I got a couple people that love me enough that will tell me if my fly is down. That's love. Because I ain't trying to come up here and make everybody uncomfortable. Listen, I don't really get uncomfortable, so I'm going to be fine. But y'all ain't going to pay attention to the word I'm saying. It's when we refuse to be honest in these situations that it causes us to sometimes do the most unloving things to the people that we love the most when we're not honest. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. How many of y'all watch American Idol? I'm talking like back in the, the original, like Randy Jackson, Paula Abdul, when American Idol was still cool. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And you remember... Like the first three weeks of the American Idol season was what? They were, going, they were going city to city to city and they were trying to find their contestants. And inevitably, there would be some people in there, like me, who would come in there and sing all my life. I pray for someone like you. And then they would go, oh, Lord. Right? And then, and then they would be like, like no, no. Who, have you ever sang in front of anybody before? Oh, I sing all the time. I sing in front of my mom, my dad, my family. Well, what do they tell you when you sing? Oh, they say I have an angelic voice. They say it's beautiful. And then those parents, for the first time in those grown folks' life, are hearing, you suck. Don't do that. Listen, I decided right then and there watching American Idol that when I have kids, I am not going to lie to my babies. I love you, baby. I love the way you sing, but why don't we just leave that right here between us, okay? Me and you and the Lord Almighty. Listen, and y'all are blessed by the honesty, by the way, because I keep asking all the time for Brian to let me come up and sing, and Brian channels his inner Randy Jackson goes, you know, dog, that's a, me, that's a no for me, dog. Listen, we're having some fun here, but doesn't this reveal an uncomfortable truth? Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you had been led to believe something by people that were close to you only to find out by people who weren't close to you later in life that what you had been led to believe is wrong? Listen, that's unloving. I love this quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says, it is unloving to not tell the truth. Now, let me, let me pause here for a second because there's a lot of people in the room like me. I ain't got a problem telling the truth to nobody. 
I had a reputation in high school, in college, in my early days in ministry, and this weekend. <laughs> that I, I, like, I will just tell somebody the truth. Any truth tellers in the house, right? Now listen, let me just talk to you for just a second. Because the tendency that we have is we look at the rest of the world and go, man, the world would be a better place if we were just all honest about things and just tell it like it is. Thankfully, we got social media. Everybody can just tell it like it is. But here's the problem, though. The problem, if we're not careful, if we don't balance this with the first thing we talked about, choosing to be humble, then we can just go around and we can shoot our grenades of truth at everybody and just leave dead bodies at every corner. Can I just tell you something? You can do that and you can go, well, it's the truth. If you don't like it, that's on you. Hmm. Let me, let me just say this clearly. If you choose to live like that, you are incredibly dangerous to your place of work and incredibly dangerous to the kingdom of God. So how do we balance this in a culture that don't nobody like hearing truth and facts are hard to come by? Well, thankfully, God's word gives us a little bit of a clue because if we're too honest, we're harsh. If we aren't honest enough, we're unloving. If we receive honesty, I'll talk about that in a second, we're either hurt or angry. So how do we navigate this? Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking truth in love. Sometimes people like me like to speak truth in truth. And sometimes people who are not like me like to try to not speak truth in love. But what God is, in, is prescribing here is that we do both. That we bring the truth in love. Maybe you've heard it said that everything true must be said, or I'm sorry, everything said must be true, but not everything true should be said. Have you ever heard that before? That's a good rule to live by. I want to take it and clarify it and tweak it just a little bit. Because I believe that this, in, in view of God's word, what we're studying today, I believe this has been, it's been helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. That when it comes to being honest, we need to love people enough to speak the truth. But we need to value people enough to do so prayerfully. I've been amazed at how many times in my marriage when I have felt led to speak the truth. And I prayed about it. And God said, why don't you let me speak that truth? And there's been times where there's been a truth that I feel like I need to share with Jess and God has shut my mouth. It's amazing to me how many times in the next few days Jessica will come to me talking about the very thing that I wanted to talk about. It's also been amazing to me how when I prayed about it and God said, why don't you let me handle that? And I go, I'm good, I got this one. You sit out, God. I'll tag you in when I need you. Woman, we need to talk. And I share my truth. Woman is a word of endearment and affection in my house. I ain't got time to tell you all the backstory of that, but we need to talk about something. We talk about it and it doesn't go well. It's amazing how somewhere around about there, I'm like, all right, tag, God, tag, tag, go get him. And in that moment, God goes, I ain't coming for her, homie. I'm coming for you. What about when we receive honesty? Man, we don't like to receive honesty. 
We don't like to receive honesty one bit. Oftentimes when we receive honesty, oftentimes we end up feeling like we're being attacked. I believe that's of the devil, by the way, because it creates division and barriers and those division and barriers are limiting your growth potential. Notice what God's word said in Proverbs 27. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know what this is saying? Saying if the people that are close to you, if all they ever do is just kiss up to you and tell you how great you are, how amazing you are, and you're so great, and you're so beautiful, and you're so this, and you're so smart, and you're all of these things, like if that's all that you ever hear, you need to to watch out. Because that means there ain't nobody in your inner circle that loves you enough to be honest with you. But when he says faithful are the wounds of a friend, the one who knows you well enough to come into your situation for just a moment and say, hey, I just got to share something with you. I've observed something that is troubling to me and I've spent some time in prayer about it and you can, listen, man, you take it or leave it. You listen to the Holy Spirit of God, but I'm just coming to share something with you that I think is off base. faithful are those wounds. Does it hurt? You bet. None of us like that. But you don't grow if you don't change and you don't change if you got something cutting on you a little bit to start removing some things. Let me share with you something a little, just real quick, I want to share with you something that I've used to help me when I'm receiving feedback. All right? And it's three words, gratitude, solitude, and aptitude. When I receive feedback, I try to think through through the lens first of gratitude. No matter how much it stings, I always try to respond positively and say, thank you for that. Why? Because I don't grow by being complimented. I grow by being critiqued. What is a critique? A, A critique is a careful evaluation of something. I don't grow with compliments. I grow with critique. And I don't want to create an environment as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a boss, as a leader, as a son. I don't want to create an environment where I can't grow by putting off the aura that you can keep that. Or if I start going, well, he who has stones, he who has no sand cast the first stone. I want to grow. So I have to have gratitude in that moment. Secondly is solitude. I try not to respond in that moment because usually if I respond in that moment, I'm still hurt from what was said, what was shared with me, and my response will be a response to the pain. And hurt people hurt people. So not only do I not want to hurt the person who's given me the feedback, but it's going to be incredibly unbeneficial if all I do is respond to the pain. Instead, what I do is I thank you for that. And then the next day or so, I go spend some time with the Lord and say, God, is there anything in there that is of you? Is there any feedback in here that, that, that you've been trying to tell me, but I won't listen in my spirit, so you put it in the mouth of somebody else to come and tell it to me so I can't deny it? God, if there is, would you help me see it? Would you help me to grow? Help me to become more like your son, Jesus. And then, after I feel like I've gotten some clarity from the Lord, sometimes what I'll do is I've got one or two people in my life, depending on what the issue is, that I'll go to and say, hey, listen, can I get some feedback from you on something? This is what was shared with me. I've been praying about it and I feel like God is saying this. Um, what do you see in my life? And then I shut up and I receive. 
gratitude, that's solitude. And the third is aptitude. If there's something that God is really telling me and I feel like God is pressing into me on an issue, then I'll go, okay, God, then I want to surrender this. Whatever my pride is that's telling me that I, that I should reject that feedback, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill that. I'm going to receive that feedback, God. You have access to that area of my heart, that area of my life. You change me and make me more in the image of Jesus. Gratitude, solitude, and aptitude. Man, is this helpful? I hope it is. And some of y'all that are married need to go back and just listen to that little part right there because it'll save you thousands of dollars in counseling for free. Here's the last ingredient. I'll save this one for last because it's the most difficult, I think, for us to wrap our, our minds around. And I really believe if it's okay, I believe God sent me to get in your Kool-Aid a little bit on this one. Is that okay? The rest of you, I guess you can just check out. The last ingredient is to choose to be honoring. I'm going to tell you that I believe that honor has almost become the most disgusting four-letter word in our culture because nobody wants to do it. Let me establish the biblical framework first. Romans 12, 10. God says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. What does this word honor mean? The Greek word is the word time. And it means the thing that belongs to somebody who has attained a rank or an office, or it's the action of deference or reverence. Literally, it is the process of deferring your own interests, wants, and desires, or your opinion, or your justification for why you think you were right or need to be heard. And you're deferring that for the person in position of authority or someone who has earned or attained something to have in your life. That literally you revere the person and not just the person, but the position in such a way that you choose to honor them even when you don't like it. Even when you don't want to. By my estimation, the biggest problem that most people have with choosing to be honoring is that nobody understands the difference between honor and respect. We typically think that they're one and the same, but they're not. Respect is earned. When it comes to respect, it's certainly appropriate for you to have a mindset that I will give them my respect when they earn my respect. That's appropriate. And the reason why is because respect is personal. There's a personal component to respect. There, there, there's a mindset of like, like you, you've got to win me over before I will respect you. But honor is different. Honor is not earned. Honor is given. Honor is an active choice. Honor is a decision that you make when you realize that um, it's not about me personally. It's not a personal issue. Where respect is personal, honor is positional. That it doesn't matter who you are or who they are. That God's expectation that we bestow honor on other people goes beyond the personhood. It goes beyond the respectable qualities and it goes to the position 
that they have. The Bible tells us that nobody receives, uh, attains, acquires, or arrives at a position of authority or a position of power without God approving it. So what that means is, is that God requires, he expects us, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, to honor people. I don't have time to unpack all of this today, but I'm gonna give you four quick areas that God calls us to honor people in, four groups of people, and you're gonna have to go do the research on your own, but God requires us to honor him. God requires us to honor our parents. God requires us to honor people in positions of authority, which include teachers, bosses, elected officials. It's because of this, by the way, that from the time that I started voting when I was 18, after every election, regardless of whether or not the person that I voted for or not won the presidency, I can say, you don't have to win my vote to have my honor. I honor my president. I honor my governor. I honor my mayor because God requires me to. And the fourth group of people that God calls us to honor are honor pastors and spiritual leaders, people that are investing into your soul. God requires us to bring honor into all of those. And how does this get practical? How do you honor someone when you disagree with them? Well, I believe this might be helpful. It's been helpful for me that I first choose to value the person and then I choose to recognize their position. Here's why this is important. Because every single person was created and designed by my God. And when I dishonor the person, I dishonor my God. So I'm going to look at the person. I'm going to value the person. I'm going to recognize the person, but not just the person. I'm also going to recognize the position. And it could be a person that I disagree with in every single thing. But I'm going to give them honor because of the position of authority that God has approved them to be in. And so I'm going to choose to be honoring. And so this is the secret sauce. The secret sauce are six decisions, six declarations that we make, that we choose to be holy, that we choose to be hardworking, that we choose to be humble, that we choose to be hungry, we choose to be honest, and we choose to be honoring. And as we close today, and as we close out this short little message series, I want to I want to end with why all of this matters because you could have gone into this thinking, okay, great, I want to be successful. Sweet. I'll plug and play the equation, man. I'll go. I want to be a success, man. I want to be on a rocket ship to the moon. Let's go. In every area, work, life, all of it. If you remember, if you were here last week, I shared with you the parable of the talents and, 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 and when, when the, the servant who had taken the initial investment and then put it to work, and then brought back that investment with interest to his master. Do you remember what he said? I'll remind you, Matthew 25, 21, it says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler 
over many. Can I just tell you that God desires you to be a success in life and work? It doesn't matter what your life is consists of. It doesn't matter where your work takes place. God's desires for you to be a success in every arena and every environment that you walk into. If you're a teacher, God wants you to be the best teacher that the world has ever seen. If you're a pipe fitter, man, be the best pipe fitter that the world has ever known. If you're a lawyer, an electrician, if you're a mom, a dad, if you're an accountant, Man, go be the best that the world has ever seen. Here's the deal. There might be levels and grades or awards that are awarded to the best that the world has ever seen. But listen to me. God wired you differently than the rest of all of them. And the world has never seen what God can do through you. So go do it. Choose, to, to choose these, these decisions, these declarations, so that you can begin to see how God will work in your life to make you a success, both in life and work. And here's why. Because it brings him much joy when you use up everything he gave you to do the very best of your ability. Stop measuring yourself relative to what someone else in your career field did or what some other mom or dad does. Start measuring yourself by what God has put in front of you. God does not measure success in accolades. God measures success in your faithfulness. And not only does God measure success by your faithfulness, he rewards your success. Why does any of this matter, Pastor? Matt, why does it matter, Pastor? Because if you're in Christ, what's gonna happen when your life on earth is done or perhaps we're living in the generation, it's possible that we'll never see death, we'll see Jesus coming. We'll get called up into heaven. For those that are in Christ, you're gonna have an opportunity to walk into God's heaven. A place where wealth is so common that they pave the streets with gold there place where the tears are wiped away and there's no more sorrow, no more grieving, where we receive these perfect bodies, those physical ailments that you've been wrestling with, they'll be gone. And you'll get there and the incredible reward will be able to, knowing that you can walk into heaven, but, but the best is always yet to come with Jesus. We've been learning that all year long. And at some point, what will happen is, is we'll, we'll bring everything with us that we've done. And the Bible says that, that everything that we have acquired, everything that we've done, every, everything that can be uh, associated to your account, it's going to be put on this conveyor belt kind of thing of some sort, and it's going to pass through this fire. And every single thing that you did in this life that was for your glory is going to be burned up and it's going to be gone. Poof. Because it didn't matter. And every single thing that you did for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, for eternity, is going to pass through that fire and be refined. What's going to happen is, is the Bible says that we're going to be given these crowns different crowns for different types of things. 
And we're gonna get through that testing process and we're gonna get our crowns and we're gonna put them on. They're gonna be amazing and we're gonna ooh and ah and we're gonna see friends and family members and loved ones that also know Christ. We're gonna celebrate in this moment. Oh my gosh, we're here, we made it. Man, let me see your crown and and for the first time, you're gonna be able to look at something that somebody else has accomplished and not have an ounce of bitterness, not have an ounce of jealousy, but only be filled with joy. Oh my gosh, man, that's amazing. Man, that's incredible. You got what? Oh, that's amazing. Man, take a look at what I got. And it won't be a measuring contest. It won't be a I'm better than you contest. It won't be a, you know, I'm closer or more godly. It won't be none of that. It'll just be like just incredible sheer awe. And it'll get better. Because before we're ushered into the mansion that God has reserved for us in glory, we'll be ushered into a special place. And I don't know who our escort's gonna be, but they're gonna say, you're not gonna believe what you're about to see. Up to this point, you've needed faith, but not anymore. And we're gonna be ushered into the presence of the living God And we're going to see the 24 elders around the throne that Revelation talks about, that they're there and they never stop singing glory, 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 holy, 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 who was and is and is to come. And we're going to see the angels that are there. And we're going to see these incredible things that our minds and our eyes cannot possibly express and translate and articulate into words. And then the 24 elders are going to do something that's going to catch us in awe. We're going to be standing there with our crowns, all of the things that we're thankful for and grateful for everything that we've done that mattered. And the 24 elders are going to take their crowns off and they're going to throw them at the feet of God. And we're not going to help but to follow suit. We'll take our crown off and it won't even matter how beautiful the crown is. It won't matter how much value it carries to me. It won't matter how much every gem, every ruby, every sapphire, every emerald meant something to us because we're going to take it and we're going to toss it at the feet of God and we're going to realize for the first time that none of those things were the reward. That the reward was always Christ himself. This is why God wants you to be a success in life and work. So that you can acquire all of these things for God's glory. And so that you can take them all eventually and lay them at his feet and say, God, none of it matters in comparison to you. Listen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the physical fruit of success on this side of heaven. But nothing will compare to enjoying the spiritual fruit of success on God's side of heaven. So what is success? Success is returning back to God both the investment and the interest of all he gave you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.